The cannabis industry has launched in Massachusetts and $16 million in gross revenue has been generated in six weeks. Whoa, that's a lot of dough, man. Yes, indeed. And one of the pioneers and entrepreneurs from the cannabis business is Mark Shepard. He's one of the founders of the New England Cannabis Convention, where this podcast started almost a year ago. So don't blame me. No, I'm only kidding. Mark's in studio with us. We'll get to Mark Shepard and the New England Cannabis Convention in just a moment on In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. Hi, everyone. Welcome to In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. Today, we are welcoming in Mark Shepard from the New England Cannabis Convention that starts in March at the Heinz. Now up to three days of exhibits, seminars, and a whole bunch of information that you can get both as a business person and as a consumer. And we'll talk with Mark in just a moment, but a reminder that this podcast, once again, is available on the clnsmedia.com website. It is also available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, and a video recording for the weedtube.com. You can also find that video on the brand new Cannabis Multimedia Network.com. That's where you can find this. You can also find tremendous support for the industry and for podcasts like this one from one of our supporters, the Revolutionary Clinics, located in both Cambridge and in Somerville. The Revolutionary Clinics, obviously, are the ones that you want to go to to get the knowledge you need to become a user of cannabis responsibly and as a medicine. They have tremendous patient advocates who pride themselves with expertise that help you find that right medicine and explain the right way to ingest it to improve your life. That's the Revolutionary Clinics at 67 Broadway in Somerville and 110 Fawcett Street in Cambridge in the Fresh Pond area. Mark Shepard, thank you so much for coming in today and joining me in studio. Thank you so much for having me, Jimmy. It's great to be here. Um, are you concerned about what I'm hearing about big pharma getting involved, some of the bigger um, uh, drug companies? And, and, and as a business guy that does a show, are you concerned that it will be knocking out the little man at some point? I mean, that's it is going it is going to happen. It I happens mean, I, in media, too, it, by the way. And, and it happens in everything. And, and that's sort of part and parcel with capitalism. If there's opportunity for all, yeah, once you're big, it's easier to swallow up. I, I will say in cannabis, it's such an incredibly curated experience. It's it's part of a person's um, personality and what they like to curate to their audience. Yeah. I, I, I put it this way. I'm like, yes. Will there be a place for mass-produced, cheaper cannabis? Absolutely w w there will be. But will there be a massive amount of people who don't want to just say, hey, I invited everybody over. Hey, here's my McJoint that we're all going to smoke. No, no, no. Let me show you my favorite strain and how I produce it and how I do it. Just like, the, just like craft beer came from nowhere and right. carved a big piece into the beer industry, now we're starting a new industry where everybody's on equal ground. Of course there'll be Budweiser's or or Marlboro's in cannabis, but they're not going to knock everybody out. At the same time, you say every single person that I know who's a grower is passionate and they think they're the best grower. That's great, but they're not all going to survive. That's they're, right. You know, and but that's, you know. The plants, the plants would not survive in my house. I have a black thumb, so I, I'm not going to be the, the grower at, at all. Um, we're talking with Mark Shepard of the New England Cannabis Convention, which is taking over the Heinz in March for three days 
Give me the dates right off the top of your head. You got it. March 22nd, 23rd, 24th. And, of course, you can go online searching New England Cannabis Convention and get any details you need uh, to go about that. You've kept the price of admission reasonable. Is that something that is uh, your business's mission, if you will? Yeah. I mean, just we were just talking about competition. I mean, the convention industry is a funny example. We launched in 2015. We were literally the only cannabis convention for business in New England. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward to 2019, there are five conventions scheduled at the Heinz. Right. <laughs> four in addition to ours. So it's gotten very competitive. When we started, we weren't first in the country, and we saw that MJ Biz, which who, who they were first, and a couple of other people had really jumped on the what I call the non-location-specific conventions. It's just the national industry trade show, mm-hmm. and there's plenty of those. So we said, there really isn't room for that. Let's do one for the local markets. And if you come to our shows, you can see. Our, we call it the New England Cannabis Convention. It's the Massachusetts Cannabis Convention. All the speaking, all the programming's based on how to succeed in Massachusetts. If you go to Maine, it's about Maine, Rhode Island, about Rhode Island, et cetera. That's not typical in these conventions. I mean, the ones that are coming in from the Heinz, they're basically focused on the cannabis industry, which is great. It's not what we do. So since we're focusing on the local market, you'll see our you know, our exhibitor pricing is about half of what a national show is, and our ticket prices are they're typically about one tenth mm-hmm. of what it is because we want the local businesses to collect with, connect with local people, and if we price them all out, we're we're not doing that. Did you attend MJ BizCom down in Las Vegas this year, or have you in the past? I have attended an average of twenty uh, cannabis conventions that aren't mine per year for the last three years. I haven't missed the Vegas one in since two thousand thirteen. And your impressions of this year's? Because I heard it was unbelievable. Every single year blows the previous year out. I I was stunned last year at it. And then this year I went and I saw 1,200 exhibitors and at least 25,000 attendees. We sent a staff of three people there. We obviously want to talk to the exhibitors. Myself and my two comrades walked the exhibit floor. Every minute was open for all three days, and we didn't talk to everybody. Wow, that's a lot of people. Unbelievable. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, the future. What what more needs to happen. You know, we're we're kind of uh, provincial in this area. We we really do just care about our sports teams and yeah. our politics and our schools and our hospitals and what have you. And we've been blessed with some of those. Um, it is still a Schedule One drug, according to the DEA. There is a movement in Washington D.C. Lobbyists are getting involved. They want to change the scheduling, whether it is completely descheduled or scheduled at least one step below the Schedule 1 that it is now down to Schedule 2, which will allow the banks to get involved. What kind of an impact is that going to have on this industry if they get this thing descheduled or rescheduled to Schedule 2 even? I mean, the the biggest impact, if if it got descheduled down, would be the interstate commerce and and. I wouldn't even want to guess what would happen once that happens. I think the biggest thing that still needs to be addressed right now on a state level, and every state can do it, is the social equity. We're talking about, you know, cannabis, the, the you know, the entry drug, all these things, you know, say no to drugs that through the 80s, 90s, and up to today, minorities and people of color have been pros- prosecuted and, and arrested and incarcerated at unbelievably high rates 
and now that now that it's a, a legal industry, those convictions are actually preventing those people from getting into the industry because you know in Massachusetts, if you have a felony conviction or any conviction for cannabis, you can't even enter the industry. So California just recently, you know, went with full expungement of of people's records for cannabis convictions. Massachusetts needs to do that. Every state needs to do that. And and we'll have it'll be one of the focuses of programming at our convention this year. We need to stop paying lip service towards social equity and actually really start making sure that happens. And that's one of the reasons why Mass Can Normal, the Mass Rec Consumer Council, and our convention, the fight's not over on that way. We have to make this something that the people that suffered under it before share in the benefits of it now. And that's I think that's the most important thing. And it's difficult. I have a dear friend that I grew up with who had to raise $15 million just to get it open just to get his yeah. dispensary regulated properly and open and hire the right people and build the grow facility and it's all under one roof and all that but still it's a huge undertaking for anyone who's not had a lot of experience building businesses absolutely and you don't get a chance to do that in prison no and that's the that's the ironic thing like it's a, it's a good step you know the basically the the law here is the people that were given convictions or or persecuted for it. They you know they have a a leg up or first shot. But what what what's the hey you have the first shot to open a five million dollar business. Hey, good luck with that with your felony conviction over the last ten years. I right. mean what's and is it, that a real step? It's not right. And you can't go to a bank and get a loan because no bank wants to get involved. There is only one local bank here in Massachusetts that does business with the medicinal dispensary, Century Bank, and. The you know so there's a lot of uh, barriers in the way to get this thing launched. If you were in charge of the commission, what are some of the things that you might want to see happen uh, to change that? Because I, I think that everybody has a right, and they're looking at it the right way. Is that look, we did wrong by these guys in our society? Let's try to do right by them now. How do you do that? I mean, to me, you know, for a lot of people, it becomes a, you know, it's a, it's a bad word, but I, this, this is a situation that requires affirmative action. Mm-hmm. This, this requires hiring um, level guarantees. You just, you know, you have to say, well, I don't, I don't have a, you know, specific numbers numbers on it, but yeah. if we're going to give out a hundred licenses, yeah, twenty percent of them are going to go to people who were wrongly convicted. Like I'm making up those numbers, but mm-hmm. if you, if you don't actually mandate equality, it doesn't happen. And that's where we are right now. We're talking about it, but it's not mandated, and it's kind of just lip service. I'd make it mandated. I'd also like to see, personally, again, um, a certificate program. There's quite a few companies out there that do this. In fact, I think uh, Grassroots uh, 420 is uh, Mike Sullivan's group. Uh, uh, that's where I met them at your convention. So and They I, actually just changed their name to the Leaf Collective. It's uh, Mike Fitzgerald and Melissa Fitzgerald, Leaf Collective. What did I say, Sullivan? Yeah. That's because I worked with a Mike Sullivan. There what a go. shock, by the way, in Boston. Imagine. Somebody, yeah, Fitzgerald and Sullivan, they're probably related anyway. Right. Um, and I apologize. That being said, uh, you know those guys. I do. And I I attended one of their seminars just to see what it was like, and I was blown away by his knowledge, both as a grower and, and I, I kid with him, I said, because he was talking about, you know, his background and his story, and it's very compelling. And, and he says, yeah, I was Jerry Garcia's grower. And I go, whoa. I said, you put that on a resume. In this industry, there is no better reference. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good. No better reference than that. Um 
let's talk about the clubs because you know we talk about social justice part of this law is social consumption clubs we know that there's one in existence a private club out in Worcester the Summit Lounge right mm-hmm. now but where do you see this evolving to they're starting to have discussions about it where, where would you like to see that go I mean, I'd I'd like first and foremost for for people to acknowledge the fact that if people are going to consume cannabis, then yeah, I mean, if you just you can say you can only consume it in your home, it's a it's a little strange when we when we live in a state and and a country where a thousand people can pull up, drive into a place that will pour them basically unlimited I'm vodka and beer, right. and they all drove there. Well, no, they drove there. Right. Um, that being said, I, I I can't ignore the fact that you know if people choose to break the law. You know, we go after them, and there is a there's a cut and dried way to prove if somebody's under the influence of alcohol. And unfortunately, there is not a cut and dried way um, to to prove if someone's under the influ- influence of cannabis. And I think on on the pro cannabis side, we we have to acknowledge that and try to come up with a solution because in many places, the people who are opposed to co- social consumption, that's the sum whole of their argument, and it's a valid argument. If I can't prove you're under the influence then I'm a little bit scared about, you know, you consuming it in public and then driving home. So we, we really have to work towards a solution there. And, and if there was an easy one, it would be out there. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I, and, and one thing, when this argument, I've heard this argument a lot, and, you know, you, the obvious comparison is to alcohol. But what about, when we all recognize that there's too many opioids in this society. Yes. You, you, even though on the little bottle it says, do not operate heavy machinery while under the influence of this product. I'm not quite sure how many people actually think that their car is heavy machinery, but it is. And how do you test that without a blood test? Right. Oh, I mean, that's, that's a, it's another fantastic point. There's tens of thousands of people driving on the streets every day on OxyContin. Right. But that's a legal drug, and you know people are making money off it, and that's that's all good. And that's I think that's what irritates people on the cannabis side the most is like, so no problem with with drunk drivers because you know whatever we if we catch them we put them in jail we we don't catch many of them, mm-hmm. and and people drive with opioids. But God forbid somebody smoked a joint and drive. Right. So I, I think people just want a fair shake on that, and and they're right. And I've I've admitted this before on this show. I will admit it again. That as a user of this product in the 70s, when it was not as potent as it is now, I always put that caveat in there, uh, the day that I got my driver's license, I had it in my system. Now, I had not just smoked a joint and got in the car with a cop and my mother and drove and did a three-point turn and came back. By the way, North Attleboro. Ooh, tough place to to, to drive (laughs) under the influence. In 1976, oh no, 74 it was, so whatever. Um, Point being... Um, there are some that suffer from ADHD, like myself, who actually found themselves being able to hyper-focus better under the influence of that. And, you know, I talk to a lot of people that have therapy, and everybody, all the psychiatrists have said this to me many times. They, they have a lot of baby boomers who are out there who have very similar stories, that it helps them hyper-focus. But we also recognize that there are stone maneuvers when you're high and, you know, you might make a, um, uh, a stupid mistake. Oh, by the way, what about the distractions of the phone in the car? There are far more accidents on that end of things than there are people who are under the influence. It's just a, an example of what I say of the challenges that are out there for these people. Absolutely. And it's, it's, I just, I wish there was a breathalyzer. 
for for cannabis. It would it would solve everything. There there isn't. So they've tried a whole bunch. I know there's been a few products that you know they introduce everything in Colorado because it's you know like a test market, mm-hmm. but uh, it hasn't nothing has been uh, embraced yet uh, as a something that this will work. Right, and I mean you know, and by the way, just because I have one or two dabs or puffs or hits. And you might have a dab or a hit, or it's going to affect you differently from me, and that's really a big. I mean, I know people that are taking fifty milligrams of of cannabis in their system every day. Sure, or a hundred. That's amazing, and they're functioning. Yes. In the Weeds is a podcast produced at the studios of Little Park Media in Wellesley, Massachusetts, for the listening enjoyment of our audience. None of the opinions or advice on this program should be considered medical advice or a substitute for seeing a certified medical marijuana practitioner or your local physician. All opinions and thoughts on this show do not necessarily represent the management of CLNS Media Group or Little Park Media.